So we're going to look this morning at uh, a brief passage from the book of Job. And uh, one of the problems with uh, this, what we're doing this year with the liturgy is, I, you know, Job's a long book, a really long book, very deep and complicated book. And so we're only going to take, what is it, three and a half, four verses out of it to talk about today. So I'm going to have to give you a bit of an overview about it because we all think we know what it's about and we probably don't. So uh, we're going to have to do... Gonna have to do a little bit of that um, as we look at it today. And the other thing that I, I realized is uh, uh, you probably should pray for the people who heard this sermon at the nine o'clock service because I realize this is really heavy. What we're going to talk about this morning, um, and uh, it just is. I'd like to, you know, and you'll see as we get into it why it's heavy. Um, uh, I mean, nobody uh, has ever said that I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see him uh, someday without first recognizing they need a living Redeemer uh, and uh, without that uh, living Redeemer, they're dead. Um, the text that we're going to look at today is, is, a, is a classic text uh, but also, honestly, in the original language that it's written in, is pretty garbled. The clear teaching of the text is that our hope is found in someone else and in something else, which is a great thing for us today. And it is interesting, um, before I read it, just to give you a, a, a quick introduction, Job says that he wishes that his words were written that they were inscribed in a book. And he goes further to say that he wishes they were with a, written with an iron pen and lead and engraved in the rock forever. I, I would venture to guess that for I know that my Redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth is the most popular verse on tombstones in America. <laughs> Which uh, when I said that, I, that was how I began at the nine o'clock service and everybody got up and went out to get a cup of coffee at that point. So... Um, <laughs> Um, but I think that is uh, uh, a profound thing uh, for us to think about today. And one other thing before I pray and read the text, much of what I'm going to say today is addressed to people uh, who struggle. And so I know that that means most of you aren't going to pay any attention because you never struggle. <laughs> um, at least you don't want anybody to know that you struggle. So... Uh, Man, I'm a struggler. So if you're visiting with us today, uh, bear with me because, uh, uh, and, and you're not a struggler, uh, sorry. Uh, but if you're a fellow struggler, I think this will be in your sweet spot today. So uh, in light of that, let me pray and then we'll uh, jump in. Lord, we uh, come to you today and we thank you. I thank you today for your servant, Job. There was nobody in the world like him. You loved him. Uh, and you tested him. And he says to us, you used him to say to us some very profound things about suffering, about pain, and about hope. And so I pray that you would help us today. And Lord, I pray especially today for the, the people who uh, are here who are at the end of hope, maybe have no hope, uh, that uh, the assurance and the reality of a living redeemer uh, would shore them up and move them uh, towards uh, a joy, uh, certainty, 
and uh, well, assurance that you're good and that you love us in Jesus Christ. So bless us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Job chapter 19, verses 23 through 27. Uh, This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved on the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. So one of the things that I think is uh, interesting about being alive today is we believe and, 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 and we kind of behave like there's a fix for everything, right? So, we, we, you know, technique is the secret to success. I mean, that's a, a lot of the ways in which we think about uh, our lives and the way uh, we think about how things work. You got a problem, there's a technique or a tool or a quick solution that can fix that. And there are some things, there are many things that that's true for, no doubt, you know. Um, but the, the, the fact is, we've even extended that into areas of the heart and the soul. If you're sad and you're depressed, take a pill. And you know what? I'm for that. It's a good thing. Because in my experience, some people need to take a pill so that their hearts and minds can get wrapped around the truth of the gospel. Because sometimes you're so sad and so broken, you can't hear, you can't process anything, right? And so that's, that's a good thing. That's, that, that's a great thing. But in the end, those things don't redeem us. We need more. We need a lot more. Uh, and the reason for that is, and I think the reason why we're tempted sometimes to think that technique or technology or just the right kind of, uh, you know, set of factors or whatever will solve our problem. One of the reasons why I think we think that is because our tendency is to deny reality. Because our reality is simply that, you know, the world's not that bad a place. It just needs a little tweaking. And our lives are not that bad. For many of us, we think we just need a little tweaking until something runs off the rails. And then all of a sudden you realize tweak ain't enough. You need, you need something else, right? Um, and so it's, it's an it's a important thing for us to kind of to lay hold of that today. So I'm, I want to I tell you today something that's true. It's hard to hear. Uh, uh, but the fact of the matter is, Brian, go ahead and put my notes up there, uh, that much as we might like to deny it, we are surrounded by the pervasiveness of sin and death. And that doesn't mean the world is as bad as it could be. That doesn't mean there's, and as, as we'll see, that there's never an opportunity for joy or beauty or hope. All of those things are here. All of those things are still in the creation All of those things, believe it or not, beauty and joy and hope even exist in broken sinners who still bear the image of God, though, though it's, 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 it's like a ruin, you know, it's, it's a broken thing, but there's still glimpses of beauty. There's still glimpses of hope. There's still that. I mean, who, who cannot deny the fact that this time of year, it makes it worth it to live in Richmond, right? It's just beautiful, isn't it? Right? I mean, it is the color, that sort of thing. That's a gift from God. 
And though I may be tempted when I look outside or think about the world or think about my life or my struggles or my brokenness to give in the sadness, I can look outside and see a maple tree and think, you know, there is a God who, who makes things beautiful. Even in death, things have beauty. It's a rich thing for us, uh, a rich thing for us uh, to think about today. And so I'm not trying to um, rain on anybody's parade. Uh, and, and if you've never struggled and you've never had a, a, a hard time believing or you've never cried out to God to try to figure out just what in the heck is going on in your world and in your life, um, at the very least, what I want you to hear today is there are people around you who are that way. There are people around you who you might not even know are that way, who are simply existing, keeping a stiff upper lip, and yet uh, need a sense of hope and a sense that their Redeemer, in the midst of sin and death, that their Redeemer lives, and so will they. Okay? So um, one of the uh, things that I, I think about this is I, when uh, I think about suffering and I think about pain, uh, who do I go to? Well, the people that I go to the most to read about this are, are, are the Puritans. I know for some people the Puritans are hateful, uh, and they weren't perfect. They are broken people just like the rest of us. But uh, the fact is uh, they embraced and understood a theology of suffering that I think would, be, would, would, would serve us very well. Jonathan Edwards, uh, one of the greatest minds ever to live on uh, the North American continent, flawed, broken, wrong about many things, um, struggled for years as a pastor, was even fired by his church. Uh, but the people who founded the Presbyterians, by the way, Jonathan Edwards was not a Presbyterian, but he was chosen to be uh, the first president of the Presbyterian College of New Jersey, also known as Princeton. And so he went there at age 54. And before he'd even really gotten started, he wanted to set an example for the other students. And so there was an experimental treatment that was going around for smallpox. And that smallpox, it was to get vaccinated from smallpox. Now, now I got a smallpox vaccination when I was, when I was younger. And you can tell people of a certain age because on their arm, they got that little scar right there. You know, I don't even think they do that anymore, do they? Do you still get smallpox vaccinations? I don't know. Probably, probably very rarely. Well, the way they used to give smallpox vaccinations in the day was find somebody who's got smallpox. <laughs> okay, it gets gross here. Go to them, take one of their sores, open it up, scoop some of that stuff out of there, put it in a syringe, and shoot it into somebody else. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> this is awful, right? And if it didn't kill you, you got an immunity to smallpox. Well, he thought he would set an example to the incoming student body at Princeton and do this. He took the vaccine, and it killed him at age 54. His wife writes this to one of their children. My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. What a sentence. Wow. Who thinks like that? 
Who writes like that today, right? Wow, wow. Um, Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands upon our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had your father so long. He was 54. I'm six years older than he was. It tells you a little bit something about the day and age in which this was written, right? 54 seemed like a long life, right? But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and there I am, and love to be. Wow, your affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. So, it's, it's, you know, we, we read that and we think that, and I know some of you may be sitting here now about to have a panic attack to think that, oh, you know, that, that's, it's possible that some kind of tragedy like that could come to me, right? Or is it even possible that, that something, I, I could lose my husband, I could lose my child, I, I could lose my health, I could lose my mind, I, I could, uh, uh, I don't want to think about that, and I don't want to come to grips with that. Well, here's, here's the thing, and this is, this is what, what we have to see and why Job is such a, an important uh, thing for us to think about today, and it's this. Next slide. So in one afternoon, Job, the man who said he knows that his redeemer lives, lost his 10 children and all his wealth. Now, uh, John Piper preaches on this. And one of the things he says about that is, you know, it's one thing to have a sudden shock, a sudden loss come to you. And one of the things that the body does when a sudden loss or a sudden shock comes to you is, in many ways, you get energized. You know, there are those, all those crazy stories about somebody being in a car accident and a, and a car rolling over on somebody, and you're in such shock, your adrenaline is so strong, you're, you pick the car up, right? I mean, that seems crazy to me, but apparently that kind of stuff happens sometimes, right? That, that in the midst of a shock like that, you react that way, but... but you don't react that way when month after month, day after day, week after week, hour after hour, minute after minute, you struggle and suffer, right? And so uh, shortly after this shock, he was afflicted with a hard skin disease. Uh, and what made matters worse was he had friends, friends, who came to see him, who at first loved him well by just sitting with him on his ash heap and crying with him. And then when he began to lament and he began to complain to God about why this was happening to him, they opened their mouths. Let me just say right now at the very outset of this, if you have someone in your small group or your family or your neighborhood who is broken by sin and suffering, shut your mouth. Not because what you have to say to them, the advice that you might have to say to them, the three-step program, the four-step program that will fix them or, or that sort of thing, that may be good and that may be valuable at some point in time. But Job, the Jobs in your life can't process that. They, they can't hear that. All they can think about is where's God and, and where's the light in my darkness, right? Um. The fact is, sometimes the best gift you can give somebody, and the best gift his friends could have given him, was to just sit and listen. The best gift you can give your friend is to sit and listen 
and to take them to Jesus, just like the guys did with their friend who was paralyzed. Tear the roof off, take them to Jesus. Let him be the one to heal them. So in both of these tragedies, he kept his faith and revered the sovereign hand of God. In in chapter 1, verse 21, he says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a profound thing to say in suffering. In chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Shall we receive good at the hand of 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 God and shall we not receive evil? He said that to his wife after his wife said, You need to go ahead and die. He affirmed the absoluteness of God's control over all things, and he bowed in submission to these heavy blows. But lest you think this is all he said, there's plenty of times in the book of Job where he says, I wish I was dead. In fact, he says, I wish I'd never been born. Because his suffering goes on and on and on. You ever felt like that? And I know that's a very sensitive thing to say, uh, a very hard thing to say, a very difficult thing for us to say. But have you ever been in so much pain that you thought, before God, God, just take me now because I, 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 what I'm experiencing is so excruciating, I can barely breathe. You ever felt like that? I know some of you are like, what is he talking about? Well, Job is in that sort of state. And so some pablum of a stiff upper lip or some pablum of uh, just uh, grappling somehow or other with, uh, you know, hey, cheer up, you know, uh, it's not going to work for him, right? He needs something bigger. And so... uh, Next slide. So as he as he goes, you know, he's, he's, he will say things like, like a slave who longs for the shadow and like a hireling who looks for his wages. So I am allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are appointed to me. So it's dragged on for months. Well, finally, in, in, in chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, Job receives his answer. For I, I, I reaches an answer. I know that my Redeemer lives And at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, then from my flesh or apart from my flesh, I shall see God whom I shall see on my side and my eyes shall behold and not another. And so what Job finally comes to, and by the way, God never comes to him and explains himself, though God does restore him. uh, Simply God's answer to Job is, hey, Job, I'm God and you're not. But as we hear that, we might be tempted to think that God is some kind of sovereign killjoy, some sort of sovereign punisher. But the fact is that this God that we're talking about, his character is so gracious, so loving, so kind, and so powerful that what Job ends up saying and ends up settling on is the fact that he knows that this God will redeem him, just like Boaz redeemed Naomi and Ruth. Without Boaz, Naomi and Ruth would have died. But Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, comes and gives them life, buys them back from death. 
Well, what happens here to Job is in the midst of his darkness, in the midst of his suffering, what he recognizes is, is this, that there is a God and this God is alive and he will redeem me. Not only will Will he redeem me? And it's not just that he's going to explain to Job why. We, th- we wrongly think that the whys of life would make sense of it to us. But we need even more than that. What we need is for someone to come and to take all this pain and to take all this suffering, to take all this brokenness and to take all this sin and death and undo it. And so when Job says, I'm in the midst of pain. My skin is falling off. I've lost everything. And all I have is a wife who tells me to die and friends who can do nothing but correct me and give me advice. I know beyond all of that, bigger than that, more than that, more than even myself, my Redeemer lives. And he will stand before me and I will be vindicated by his work and his words. And that... Single thought. Did Job believe? Did Job foresee Jesus Christ rising from the dead? I don't know that. It's hard. It's hard to say that honestly, but he does know the God who loves him. And he knows that this God has made promises to him. And he can look and see that this God will redeem him. And even if he has to wait until after death to experience the fullness of this redemption, he knows it's sure. And he knows it's sure because his redeemer lives. He knows this God. And though it is mind boggling to him that this God has placed him in this situation, his hope rests in the fact that in the end, our God is a redeemer of those who he loves. And that's what makes this so hard for Job is he knows that God loves him. And yet he suffers. And so he must settle upon the fact that this God, this, this love of God will be manifest to him in his pain and in his darkness, ultimately in the redemption that he will experience in eternity, right? Next slide. Um, so what, what's going to sustain us in suffering? What's going to happen for us if you have to struggle, I have to struggle with someone we love or someone we know or ourselves even for a long extended period of pain, of depression, of anxiety, of cancer, of dementia. What will sustain us? Right? Because you need something to sustain you. You know, you, you just can't say, Oh, I can't, you can't, you know, that, that there's going to be a quick and easy fix for this. There might not be. And that the only hope, the only hope, but the sure hope that we have is something beyond the circumstances of this life. So when we say that we know that our Redeemer lives and that he will stand upon the earth and that we will see him and that we will hear him and that that is our hope and that is what we hook our faith into, what are some things that we can take out of that, take away from that, that can sustain us honestly and really in times of pain and suffering? Well, a couple of things from Scripture and from experience uh, that I think are, are worth. And I got some of this material from a guy, uh, Alan Noble, who is a... Um, and I think he's an English professor or some kind of professor at some Oklahoma Baptist 
something, something, something. I, anyway, I, you pay me to look up obscure guys like this. He's bald and he wears a hat. That's what attracted me to him. So, um, so here's, here's the thing. Um, and I, I want to say right, right here at the outset that I'm telling you this today because I love you. Uh, my job uh, as your pastor is to uh, not make life simple and not to make it easy, but to tell you the truth. Uh, and so that you can be prepared by the work of the Holy Spirit in you, by the hope of the gospel to bear witness and to live faithfully until God calls you home. So the fact of the matter is life is hard and there might be some periods in your life that are all but unbearably hard. And again, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you found it hard to get out of bed in the morning. Or maybe, you know, you didn't have any choice. You had to get out of bed in the morning. But that was the only reason why you got out of bed in the morning. And, and as essentially, you went through your day, but really, you were still in your bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? Um, so this is especially difficult because much in our world tells us that ease and comfort are readily available. And we look about us, you know, the, the marketing and all the other things that we experience tells us that this stuff, you know, uh, if I just get the right laundry detergent, you know, my kids will be happy, right? So it is, uh, there's, there's so much that tells us that suffering, even tremendous suffering, actually is the normal experience of being in the world. And up, up until, like I said, you know, up until a few hundred years ago, most people didn't live very long and their lives were really, really hard, right? Jonathan Edwards died at 54 and his wife Sarah thought that was awesome that he lived that long. Um, so suffering, even tremendous suffering is the normal experience of being in the world. Now, beauty and love and joy too, no doubt, but suffering, it's a part of the existence that we have living in a fallen and broken world. Next slide. Uh, but Job and his suffering is bearing witness to some things, right? The very fact that he continues to struggle with God, the very fact that he continues to cry out to him, the very fact that he is, is, is continuing to breathe and continuing to leave and doesn't take matters into his own hands and end his life and his pain and his suffering is bearing witness to the fact that even when it's hard and even when it's painful and even when it's full of suffering, life is a gift from God. And that even in the midst of that, even as he wrestles with God and he's angry with God and he cries out to God, that's who he goes to because he knows the source of life, the source of grace, the source of mercy, the source of strength is not in himself, not in his technique, not in his friends, but it is in his redeemer who lives, right? But if life is a gift, then like most good gifts, it's also a burden, uh, th that may seem odd to you to say that gifts are burdens, but you know it's true. And uh, we we struggled for years with infertility, you know, and one of the worst things a person who's infertile can hear is another person with kids complain about their children. <laughs> 
Oh, my goodness. What a killer. Because you die to have that, right? And so when you hear, and, and, you know, the fact of the matter is kids are a gift. And, you know, what's even crazier about it is, ask someone who was infertile, who would have killed somebody who complained about their kids, have I ever complained about my kids? Yes. <laughs> For sure, Right? So the, so the fact is, you've never loved anybody or loved anything that in some way or another wasn't a burden to you. Right? By definition, if you love someone, at some point or another, they're gonna, they're gonna be a burden to you. That's, that's the way it works. Right? So, so even life, even when, when we're struggling through it, it is such a gift and it is God's gift to us and he is sovereign over our lives and there's much in our lives that is rich and wonderful and much in our lives that's a burden, right? So over all of this is the promise and the character of God in Jesus Christ. So what we have to recognize in and what we have to rest in in times of struggle and in times of difficulty is, is that our God has made promises to us. And unlike Job, we, we live on this side of the cross. We live on this side of the empty tomb. And we know for a fact that our Redeemer lives. It took a lot of faith for Job in his sores and his brokenness and his poverty and his loneliness and his isolation to be able to say in the midst of this, I know there is a God and I know this God loves me and I know this God will redeem me. Your redeemer lives. You have the witness of scripture. You have eyewitness accounts that the one who died for you, the one who took on your sores, your brokenness, your suffering, your questions, your brokenness, your sin, actually has walked out of that tomb. He lives. And so our, our hope is rooted not just in the fact that we believe that God would do this. God has done it. The first fruits of the resurrection have already been harvested and we just wait for that to be true of ourselves, right? Our Redeemer lives and he died on the cross and he rose again and that is our hope of vindication today. And so the ultimate in vindication comes from God's welcome to us and the simple fact of the resurrection. No matter how hard your life is, no matter what your pain and your suffering is, no matter what your difficulty is, no matter how many days you might have spent sad and broken, no matter how many days you may have spent with uh, uh, in a pit unable to see the light of the gospel or the light of the love of God to you, the fact of the matter is if you're in Christ today, you will hear it. And you know what? Your friends will hear it too. Well done, good and faithful servant. So our vindication, our hope is rooted in the promise of God that he will see us through to the end, that Jesus did everything for us so that everything is for us. And the very fact that God will one day not only say those words to us where we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but we'll hear that trumpet blow and we'll walk out of our graves. Right? So death, strong as it is, depression, anxiety, strong as it is, is not stronger than your Redeemer. He lives. And he has overcome for you. And because he loves you and you are united to him, you will too.
Next slide. Um, every, every year at, at Christmas, at Advent, we sing this Wesley hymn. Um, and uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know, I, I just think it's a, a pretty profound way for us to, to end this morning. Dark and cheerless is the morn. Man, that was really true until last Sunday, right? <laughs> I mean, when the sun doesn't come up till 740, it's pretty, it's pretty bleak, isn't it? Um, but the fact is, uh, I think Wesley understood that, that uh, apart from Christ, every morning is dark and cheerless, right? Dark and cheerless is the morn unaccompanied by thee. Joyless is the day's return. Till thy merry beams I see, till thy inward light impart, glads my eyes and warm my heart. Um, this is not um, uh, Pollyannish theology. The gospel of Jesus Christ roots itself in the human condition of brokenness and suffering and redeems. Let's say the words of institution responsively as they're uh, printed in the bulletin and uh, on the screens behind me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's uh, confess our sins by using the prayer of confession. Uh, Our gracious Father, you sent your Son to die and rise to new life in order that death might be brought to an end and that we too might live a new life. Yet foolishly, we have chosen death over life. In our thoughts, words, and deeds, we have rebelled against you and your intentions for us. In so doing... We have broken our fellowship with you, whose love is better than life, and whom to know is life itself. In so doing, we have hurt others, sometimes unintentionally, and sometimes deliberately, and have diminished their lives. In so doing, we have ourselves created to reflect your beauty. Father, forgive us our sin for Jesus' sake and grant that the spirit that brought our crucified Lord from death to resurrection might renew us after the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement and uh, words of encouragement that come to us always with the first two words of Jesus said, profound, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life 
He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 